one-third of all murder cases go unsolved. This is true even today, with all of our advances in crime-solving technology and forensic science, and so we can only surmise just how many murders must have gone unsolved a century ago. And yet, with so many unsolved crimes marring the pages of our Commonwealth's history, only a select handful still haunt our collective memory. The Lambs Gap murders, which took place not far from Marysville in 1924, certainly fit that description. What you are about to hear is the complete history of the crime, and how the relentless pursuit of justice has continued for nearly a century. Early on the morning of May 17, 1924, before the sun peeked over the horizon, a soft breeze rustled through the trees along a quiet road in Lamb's Gap. Birds fluttered from branch to branch, breaking the early morning stillness with their cheerful chirping, oblivious to the parked automobile alongside the road and its gruesome cargo. Near the summit of Blue Mountain, about 50 yards over the Cumberland County line, a man's body lay on the car's running board. A girl's body slumped over the steering wheel. Both were dead, the victims of the same bullet. One bullet, which had passed through the heart of one young lover before grazing the heart of the other. The victims were identified as Harry Ganster, age 20, a senior at Marysville High School, whose graduation had been delayed for two years due to a severe childhood illness. The female victim was Leah Ellenberger, a pretty 21-year-old schoolteacher from Hollidaysburg, Blair County. They had left Marysville the previous afternoon in a Jewett automobile belonging to Harry's grandmother and went to Lamb's Gap to pick wildflowers. This was the tragic conclusion to a springtime vacation. Two weeks earlier, Harry had picked up his sweetheart in Hollidaysburg to take her on an automobile trip through central Pennsylvania. Accompanied by her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Weston Ellenberger, they had gone to Gettysburg to tour the battlefield before visiting friends in Waynesboro. At the scene, authorities determined that Ganster's left thumb had been injured because it was neatly bandaged, probably the result of a prick from a thorn. The young lovers were apparently unaware of the danger lurking nearby in the form of an expert marksman with a high-powered rifle. Perhaps through the scope of this rifle, the killer had observed the tender care provided by the young woman to her lover as she carefully bandaged his wounded hand. And Miss Ellenberger was surely a tender woman, for she proudly wore Harry's class ring on her finger. This was the tragic scene which greeted the young man's father, Joseph Ganster, and a young woman's uncle, George Albright, shortly before sunrise in Lamb's Gap. Leah Ellenberger and her parents had been guests at her uncle's home, having arrived two weeks earlier from Blair County. When the young lovers failed to return home, Joseph Ganster and George Albright took to the woods for an all-night search, but nothing could prepare them for the horrific discovery they would make shortly after four o'clock in the morning. Leaving the bodies, Albright raced back to Marysville to spread the alarm, while the horror-stricken father remained by his son's lifeless corpse. 
two state troopers were summoned from their station at Progress, and they were met at the scene by Coroner Ambrose Peffer and County Detective Ross Trimmer. Soon the party swelled to include 17 troopers, led by Sergeant Donald Austin of the State Police. The shooting had taken place near the borderline dividing Perry and Cumberland counties. Throngs of newspaper reporters and photographers descended upon the crime scene, along with hundreds of local residents and curiosity seekers. Back in Marysville, indignation ran high. Harry Ganster was a favorite son of the community. Though he had been a sickly child, his illness had inspired him to pursue a career in medicine, and Harry was preparing to enter Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia. His story was an inspiration to many, and he had been selected to give the commencement speech to the Marysville senior class. It was an engagement he would never keep. Though Leah Ellenberger had moved away from the area at a young age, her mother was also beloved by the community. The former Miss Tilly Schull frequently visited her old friends in Marysville, occasionally singing in the town's Methodist church alongside her daughter. The bodies remained at the scene until noon, when Major Lynn G. Adams, head of the Pennsylvania State Police, took charge. Like many of the troopers who worked under him, Adams was certain that the killer would be caught and brought to justice. The troopers scoured the woods with a fine-tooth comb in their search for clues. Footprints, shell casings, scraps of clothing, and any other discovery that might shed some light on the horrible crime. Unfortunately, the large crowd of onlookers trampled the scene, contaminating the area with their own litter and unintentionally complicating the efforts of Major Adams and his men. The prevailing theory among law enforcement was that Ganster and Ellenberger had been killed by moonshiners, who, since the earliest days of Prohibition, had operated illegal stills in the surrounding mountains. Revenge may have been a motive, Harry Ganster, enamored with amateur sleuthing, had reported the discovery of a still to the state police two years earlier. Harry, who was also an avid photographer, had taken pictures as evidence. The authorities later paid a visit to the still, only to find it abandoned. Harry Ganster's amateur sleuthing worried the moonshiners, who once confronted him and issued a stern warning that, the next time Harry explored the woods, he would be wise to leave his camera at home. The Ganster family knew all about these threats, but neither Harry nor his father ever reported them to the police. In Harry's possession was a handwritten death threat from one of the mountain moonshiners, but this note mysteriously disappeared after Harry's death. Did young Harry take his girlfriend to Lamb's Gap to show her the moonshiner stills that he had discovered? Or had the excursion been nothing more than a natural desire for two young lovers to be alone? During the course of their investigation, the police recalled a remarkable incident involving Ganster and a high school assistant principal from Marysville, Albert Lee Childs. Two years before the double homicide, 
Ganster and Childs had a harrowing run-in with a former pupil in nearby Bryson's Hollow. This gunfight, which came to be locally known as the Battle of Camp the Limit, occurred not far from the location where Harry would eventually lose his life. In September of 1922, Harry Ganster stumbled across a moonshining operation about three miles west of Marysville while camping out on the site of a hunting cabin known to the locals as Camp the Limit. The camping party consisted of Ganster, Childs, and Roy Hipple. Professor Childs, who had recently expelled 15-year-old Sherwood Myers from Marysville High School, had become the target of hostility from many folks in the community, and the Ganster party was followed to the cabin by the recently expelled teenager, who was accompanied by two of his friends. The three angry boys pounded on the cabin door and exclaimed that they were going to get even with Professor Childs. They began hurling rocks at the cabin and shouting profanities at the professor. Suddenly, a shot rang out as a bullet pierced the wooden door. More shots followed, splintering the rough boards on every side of the two-story cabin. Harry Ganster grabbed his hunting rifle and returned fire, sending a bullet through the door and into the leg of Sherwood Myers. When the shooting stopped, Harry and his companions abandoned the cabin and fled into the woods to a different campsite, where they cooked supper over a fire and prepared to bed down for the evening. But then came the frightful sound of howling, and lights from a lantern soon appeared in the distance. They're after us with bloodhounds, cried Harry to the professor. We've got to get away. The three campers ran for their lives, returning to Marysville at around two o'clock in the morning. The injury to Sherwood Myers was minor, and charges against Ganster were dismissed, much to the chagrin of the Myers family. But the backwoods gunfight led police to the still which Ganster had stumbled across, and it was reported that Ganster and Professor Childs sought permission from authorities to carry a gun in public out of fear of repercussion from the angry moonshiners who still had been destroyed. Strangely, no arrests were ever made after the demolition of the enormous still, but it was whispered that the reason for this was that several Perry County lawmen were believed to be among the moonshiners. Sadly, after the strange shootout at Camp the Limit, and the subsequent flight into the chilly mountains on that cold October night, Albert Childs contracted pneumonia and died three months later at the age of 20. Nevertheless, it appeared that the Myers family continued to hold a grudge against Harry Ganser for shooting Sherwood in the leg. He is a sissy sort of fella anyway, declared Sherwood's sister, Loretta Myers, after the 1922 gunfight at the cabin in Bryson's Hollow. Of course, he does know a lot. What with his photography and wireless and everything, but he's got a swelled head. After the murder of Harry Ganser and Leah Ellenberger two years later, Sherwood Myers became a leading suspect and was questioned extensively by police, but authorities failed to find any connection to the slaying in Lamb's Gap. Major Adams also questioned members of a Boy Scout troop who were camping in the vicinity of Lambs Gap. 
They reported hearing four shots between 6 and 7 o'clock the previous evening. Other residents claimed to have heard only two or three shots, while still others insisted that only one shot was heard. It also seemed that no one could agree on the time of the shooting. Major Adams adhered to the single-shot theory, explaining later that, in his expert opinion, the victims had been surprised by their slayer. There was no evidence of a struggle, and based upon the positioning of Harry's body, it seemed obvious that the young man was just stepping into the vehicle when the fatal bullet pierced his body, and then continued to travel into the body of Miss Ellenberger. So sudden was the act that Harry's glasses remained in place even as life escaped from his body. After taking careful measurements, Adams concluded that the killer had fired the shot from a distance of approximately 100 feet. The spot where the killer stood, according to police, provided an excellent view of the victim's automobile. Through a clearing of branches, the killer had a perfect shot. Despite the meticulous efforts of lawmen, the rifle that fired the fatal bullet was never found. Also absent were the presence of any footprints near the spot where they believed the killer had stood. Authorities, however, did find the footprints of Ganser and Ellenberger on an old logging trail that led to the parked automobile. This old logging trail is now known as Idle Road. Not far behind these footprints were a second pair of prints made by a large boot. The killer had evidently stalked his victims like prey. But why did he wait to make his move? Why had the killer permitted Harry Ganster and Leah Ellenberger to reach their vehicle? Why was there no attempt to conceal their bodies? Was the killer frightened away by the headlights of a passing motorist? And if a motorist was driving by, why didn't he or she report the murders? Anyone who can answer these questions might be able to solve one of the most baffling cases in the annals of Pennsylvania crime. There was one detail that baffled police the most. Inside Harry Ganster's pocket, they discovered a hypodermic needle. Ganster was seeking a career in medicine, and that seemed to be the only possible explanation. Yet, even that explanation raised more questions than it answered. Who takes a syringe on a romantic stroll through the woods to collect wildflowers? For that matter, who takes a syringe anywhere? Ganster also had a notebook, which was found near the scene of the crime, and his notebook contained a detailed listing of the calibers of all the revolvers owned by his family. The weapon of each relative was described in great detail. The only possible explanation was that the notebook was part of the amateur sleuthing game that he liked to play in real life. Harry's notebook also contained a careful record of all his treks into the mountains. He chronicled everything he came across, wildlife, flora, and insects. He took numerous photographs of plants and flowers. Yes, it appeared that the young man had a keen interest in many subjects, from botany and medicine, to photography, to amateur crime-solving. But which one of his many hobbies had gotten him killed? 
Was the killer even interested in taking the life of Leah Ellenberger? Or had he managed to kill two birds with one stone without even trying? On May 20th, 1924, three days after the murders, a $100 reward for information leading to the capture of the mysterious killer was offered by the Central Pennsylvania Fish and Game Conservation Association. Other local organizations soon offered their own rewards, inspiring men and women of all ages to take to the mountains in search of a dangerous criminal. One such reward hunter was 13-year-old Charles West of Bryson's Hollow, who had the misfortune of being bitten by a copperhead snake during his adventure. He made a full recovery. That same day, police shifted their focus to rumors of an old hermit who was said to live in a cave on the Cumberland County side of the mountain, less than two miles from the scene of the crime. According to lumbermen who claimed to have seen him, the old hermit kept a stockpile of high-powered weapons inside his cave. The hermit in question, however, was never found. The local rumor mill was working overtime in the wake of the Lambsgat murders. While most favored the death by moonshiner explanation, other theories emerged. One popular theory was that a jealous husband from Mechanicsburg had mistaken Leah Ellenberger as his cheating spouse and ambushed the couple after trailing them to the top of Blue Mountain. Others insisted that Leah had another lover, who stalked the couple and then killed both victims in a fit of jealous rage. This was initially the pet theory of Sergeant Austin of the State Police and Cumberland County Detective Ross Trimmer, whose investigations revealed that Miss Ellenberger had recently broken off a relationship with a railroader from Blair County. This suspect, whom acquaintances in Hollidaysburg said had made no secret of his jealous rage toward Harry Ganster, was employed on a Hollidaysburg to Marysville run on the Pennsylvania Railroad, and kept living quarters in both towns. By checking train schedules, it was discovered that this alleged jilted lover was indeed in Marysville the day before the murder. However, Leah's parents scoffed at the idea. That is ridiculous, said Mr. Ellenberger to reporters from the Carlisle Sentinel. Leah never has had a sweetheart in Hollidaysburg. I am sure that Harry Ganser is the first boy she ever went around with a great deal. The idea of circulating such a ridiculous story. Leah is just a child. She was very quiet and reserved and did not go out much. Those policemen would have you believe that she has been having all kinds of love affairs. Others believe that the tragedy had been an accident the result of a stray bullet fired by a backwoods hunter or target shooter. To many, it seemed implausible that anyone could hit two victims with such uncanny accuracy intentionally. Another popular rumor was that Ganster had killed the girl before taking his own life. But this seems unlikely, as the murder weapon was never found. Unless, of course, the gun was carried away by an accomplice or passerby. Stranger things have happened. And it was reported that Harry's father had remained alone at the death car for several hours while Leah's uncle went to town to spread the alarm, thereby giving him a chance to dispose of the weapon and the spent shell casing. 
Although police thoroughly investigated all of these theories, they found no substantiating evidence. They insisted that it would have been impossible for a right-handed suicide victim to start the bullet through his right arm where the fatal shot had entered. However, those who knew Harry claimed that he was ambidextrous. As a child obsessed with dime novels of the Wild West, childhood friends said that Harry had spent countless hours standing in front of a mirror practicing his quick-draw as a child. Some even claimed that the pencil-written death threat that he had allegedly received from an anonymous bootlegger and had kept as a souvenir was merely a forgery produced by Harry himself in order to impress his friends. As late as 1929, five years after the murder, police were still searching for this supposed death threat. To date, it has never been found. Based on the position of the bodies, there were even some who believed that the killer had been Leah Ellenberger. Why was Leah, and not Harry, behind the steering wheel at the time of the murder? The car belonged to Harry's grandmother, and Harry was the one who knew the mountains like the back of his hand. Is it possible that Harry was moving the relationship forward a little too quickly for the young woman's comfort? She was his first love, but was he really hers? The little black notebook found at the scene contained more than descriptions of flowers and the family's firearms. According to Major Lynn Adams, Ganster's notebook also contained cryptic love letters to Leah, and, perhaps strangest of all, Harry's thoughts on the controversial matter of eugenics, which he fervently supported. Had something occurred on the mountain that had scared the wits out of Leah and made her decide to flee in Harry's car? Something having to do with a syringe, perhaps? Did he try to stop her, and did she shoot him in self-defense before turning the weapon on herself? And did her uncle carry away this evidence on his way back to town? No one investigating the murders believed this to be the case, but, at the same time, no one can say that it's out of the realm of possibility. Months after the crime, authorities announced that most of these wild rumors were being spread by those with known ties to the moonshining business, in an attempt to muddy the waters and stall the investigation. It was also later revealed that, in the hours following the murders, several known moonshiners had mysteriously moved their stills. Whether this decision to change their base of operations was because they had played a role in the crime, or simply because the mountains were now crawling with cops, is unknown. What is known, however, is that one notorious moonshiner of the era, Dan Smith, who died four months before the murders, made a habit of hiring armed sentries who were positioned at various locations along the mountain. Ironically, the leading suspect, the boy Ganster had shot in the leg in 1922, was arrested three months after the murders along with his father for making and selling moonshine out of their home. Cumberland County Detective Ross Trimmer, who had been helpless to prevent gawkers from trampling the crime scene, also had his own problems with alcohol. Just two years after the murders, while Prohibition was still in full swing, Trimmer would be suspended indefinitely for public drunkenness. Detective Trimmer was also suspended after failing to reprimand one of his officers for sleeping while on duty 
two days in a row. Perhaps one reason why these murders remain unsolved is because of hapless law enforcement. Detective Trimmer had long since earned himself a reputation for ineptitude. One year before the murders, he made the front page of the Harrisburg Evening News after he failed to serve a warrant on one 70-year-old offender not once, not twice, but three times. Detective Trimmer was first chased away by the old-timer when he waved his axe at him. Trimmer returned a few days later but was scared off by an elderly woman with a gun, and a third time the old man evaded capture simply by running away. If the 32-year-old detective couldn't be a 70-year-old vagabond in a foot race, what chance did he have of catching a killer? When it comes to catching criminals, the quality of an investigation is only as good as the quality of those doing the investigating. In 1929, on the five-year anniversary of the Lambs Gap murders, Sergeant Donald Austin of the State Police, who was permanently assigned to the case, released a trove of information which had never been disclosed to the public. Among the leads Austin had investigated, with no success, was a report that on a day of the murders, a Ford sedan driven by a man with a teenage boy in the passenger seat was seen by witnesses near the summit of Blue Mountain on the logging trail which joins Lambs Gap Road near the scene of the crime. Although it was never proven, Many believed this could have been Sherwood Myers and his father seeking revenge for the shooting at the cabin. Austin also revealed that the long-lost shell casing had been found in the woods after years of searching. Also in 1929, Sergeant Austin, in a desperate bid to turn up new leads and the Harrisburg Telegraph newspaper, conspired to hold a very unique writing contest. For several weeks, the Telegraph provided facts and clues about the murders, and asked readers to write a story describing what they thought happened to Harry Ganster and Leah Ellenberger. Sergeant Austin chose a winner out of hundreds of entries, and admitted that the contest had provided him with several new leads of investigation. Less than one month after the contest winner was chosen, Austin hauled four local moonshiners in for questioning. Howard Hoffman, William Rhodes, and John and Christian Ebersaw. All four men were charged with liquor law violations, but were eventually released after failing to provide any useful information in the Lambs Gap case. The investigation was right back to where it started. But, interestingly, during his questioning of Howard Hoffman, Sergeant Austin let it slip that his impression of the case was that it was a murder-suicide. At the time of the murders, however, Austin had believed the jealous former lover theory. So what had changed his mind? The exact location of where the police had found the long-lost shell casing was never publicly disclosed. Had the shell casing been found close to where the murders had occurred? If so, this might have been what caused Austin to change his mind about the jealous ex-lover or angry moonshiner theories. In 1935, a father and son from New Bloomfield were arrested in connection with the murders. Samuel and Earl Whitekettle were picked up by authorities after Justice of the Peace W. Scott Coble of West Fairview issued a warrant for their arrest, 
but both men were later released for lack of evidence. In 1939, 15 years after the Lambs Gap murders, Major Lynn G. Adams, now retired, disclosed the type of weapon that was used in the crime. This was the first time that this information was made public. The rifle used was an 1892 model Winchester 4440 caliber, one of the most powerful firearms on the market at the time. We watched that rifle for years, Adams recalled in 1939, but it never showed up. Adams also stated that the bullet was of a soft-nosed, smokeless powder type, which, at the time, had only been on the market for about eight months. It seems plausible that a new type of ammunition, made available to the public for the first time only months earlier, could have been sold only by a handful of retailers in Cumberland and Perry counties in 1929. One newspaper article from the Harrisburg Telegraph published on the five-year anniversary of the crime, stated that there was only one dealer in all of Harrisburg who sold this particular bullet. It should have been easy for police to obtain a list of customers, but for some reason, it wasn't. It also seems plausible that, at some point in the last 99 years, an 1892 Winchester has either come up for sale at an auction or antique shop somewhere in Pennsylvania. Perhaps the rifle is now a prized family heirloom displayed over the mantle of a descendant's fireplace. Perhaps it is gathering dust in someone's attic, or buried under the floorboards of a forgotten hunting cabin. Perhaps this very rifle has been in your family's possession for a century faithfully keeping its bloody secret. If you enjoyed this podcast, pick up a copy of my newest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 3, available now at www.sunburypress.com. Volume 3 features 30 remarkable but true stories from every corner of the Keystone State. And be sure to visit my blog, paoddities.blogspot.com, for over 600 bizarre tales of murder and mystery from the colonial era to the present day. The Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite program. New episodes on a 1st and 15th of every month.